that kind of flows into one thing that we're going to talk about today. I don't know if you, uh, I'm sure most of you have seen it, if you were here watching the Super Bowl, which by the way, watching the Chiefs win, I don't care, Kevin. I, I, you know, I, I don't care that you were going for the Eagles. I'm glad you lost. But so, so that was wonderful, right? Watching the, the Chiefs win. But there was, uh, you know, one thing that happens is you always watch commercials, right? Uh, and, and the commercials were kind of blah, I thought, this year. Um, not terribly offensive. I was happy about that, but, uh, but just kind of, you know, dull. But there were two, one in the first half, one in the second half, that were very interesting. And you may recognize this, this slide. So if you want to click the, the next slide, and this we saw on uh, the, the, in the Super Bowl. He gets us. The, the most people, have most people heard of this? Okay. All right. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Talking about being good stewards. The amount of money that went into those commercials, one, just the production value of them are excellent. And if you, if you go to the He Gets Us website, which is real complicated, hegetsus.com, um, they, they have all of the videos. These have been going for a while now um, through many different, um, mainly sporting uh, events, but they've been, it didn't just start with the Super Bowl. But there, were, there was one in the first half, one in the second half. Um, probably would have spent close to $20 million just for those two ads, right? So now, I, I'm, you know, as, as you know, um, I, can, I can find myself in a little bit of a dark place when looking at society, right? <laughs> and and I, 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 uh, I can find myself sometimes becoming cynical, and I don't want to do that. And all of us have to fight that. You know, some people just naturally go there quicker than others, um, but you, you have to be careful because we can't become too cynical. So I, these videos, I've had mixed feelings on them. And so I want to first start by saying, I think I'm not going to, to say anything overly negative about the He Gets Us campaign, okay? That, that it is one way of trying to get the name of Jesus out into our culture. And 50 million people uh, or televisions were tuned in to the Super Bowl and at least the name of Jesus was proclaimed, right? So that, that, is, that is positive. That is a, a good thing. So I went into, the, but there were a few of the videos that kind of made me a little, mm, okay, I, I, I know what you're trying to do. And, and one, I had to overcome this, I have to admit. And I, I was going to show some of these, but we could really, uh, you know, kind of get bogged down in that. There was one that said Jesus was a refugee, kind of this, you know, that's, that's been popular over the, the last, um, you know, few years. And it was kind of this direct connection with current immigration issues, right? And I, I think you've got to be real careful with that because Jesus technically was not a refugee. He did get chased out of Bethlehem, yes, because, you know, Herod was trying to, to kill him. But then he went to Egypt, which was also part of Rome. So it had been like leaving Texas and going to Louisiana, 
Okay, it, it's not the same as coming in current uh, um, <laughs> current issues. It's not the same thing from being in Guatemala and coming and crossing the river river by boat when you could just go to a legal port of entry. Right. So let we, you know, there's that one. I kind of was like, okay, why are we going there? But does Jesus love the refugee? Of course, he does. As Christians, do we should love the rest refugee? Of course, right? But the, that one kind of a little little bit. And then the one on the Super Bowl showed lots of pictures of the of the angst and the anger that people are having towards each other, and says Jesus loves his enemies. Hey, I I get it. That that's important. All right? There's nothing wrong with those messages. But they are not the full story. They are not the full gospel. Now, the purpose of them is to try to grab people's attention and get them to think about Jesus, which is great. But then you have to have more than that, right? You, you, you have to move beyond that, okay? And that's hard. And I don't know, I, I'm going to have some questions. I don't have the answers to all of these things. So what I did is I went on the website. And because, because the, the feeling that I got watching all of the videos and there's good things and some bad things on all the videos. Like one talks about um, Jesus never got angry or kind of, and I was like, well, no, no, he actually, he actually did, right? He actually did get angry. Um, you know, so there's, there's good and bad. We can, and, and, and again, what my feeling is, is they're trying to get people to come to the website to learn a little bit more. And, but the feeling of all the videos is, what? He gets us. What is the, the focus there is the humanity of Jesus, which is fine. We need to understand the humanity of Jesus. I got a little uncomfortable because the point of the gospel message is not for us to see how Jesus is like us, but for us to become more like him. Okay? So, so again, I... Do not, I'm talking about this because hopefully you're going to be able to have some conversations with people. Okay? So I'm not going to trash this thing. Okay? I, I think there's some good, but we have to move beyond. And you have to move fairly quickly beyond. And so I got on the website, and I have to say I was a little disappointed. It, it's hard for me to, to see that you're presenting the full gospel message. And maybe this is just the first part of a, of a larger campaign. So I, I'm, you know, reserve judgment on that. I never saw the word sin anywhere on, on the, I never saw the word repent anywhere. The first thing Jesus said was the gospel message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So I never saw any of that. I did see directing to, you know, if you want to get involved, you know, with local communities, it encouraged that. So that's a, a good thing, which that's, we know that's where change is going to truly happen. So again, this is just kind of a, a gate 
to try to get people in. So I understand. But as I, as I read, I felt like this is what the church has been doing for the last 30 or 40 years. And is it really working? I, I would say the answer is no. Church attendance is going down. People that claim to, to believe in, in, in Jesus, especially the Jesus that is presented in Scripture, is going down. Our culture, <laughs> maybe you love where our culture is. No, I, I don't think most people who, who look at Scripture as a guide for what is right and wrong think that our culture is in a good place. Right. And, and I, as a pastor, I understood completely where they're coming from. In fact, it's where I used to be to a certain degree. Because the reason is, is, well, if we can, you know, no one likes to be called out on their sinfulness and, and, and all of that. So if we can just get them into the door, you know, because, because uh, you know, that, that, hey, they're loved and that Jesus is a really nice guy and a brilliant guy. And he has all the answers, right? If we can just get people in the door, then we can start telling that other stuff. That, hey, uh, you, you have to repent. You need to change. Yeah, he gets you, but he wants you to be more than you are. Right? Yes, he does get you. But he also calls us to repent and start living our lives differently. And that applies to all of us. And what I found <laughs> is many churches have taken that kind of attraction model of trying to get people in so we can tell them the gospel. But then what, <laughs> what most pastors realize is when you start preaching the gospel and the, the way that it's presented in Scripture, that a lot of those people are like, yeah, I'm out. The music was great. But you know what? I can go to a Taylor Swift concert. Music's pretty dang good there too. <laughs> I, I, that, that's it. I, I, and I hate it that that's the way. And so then you struggle as a pastor, right? Because you want people to come. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I need to soften this up a little bit. I need to try to reach people. And, and we do. We need to be wise in how we try to reach people. But I've found there were people in, in this congregation that had been here for over five years. And whenever I specifically, and, and, and it was probably my fault in the way that I presented it, but when I specifically started saying that our faith should impact our view on abortion, that our faith should impact our view on homosexuality, on transgenderism, that our faith should tangibly impact the way that we view government. There were many who left. And we, not in a hostile way, there was no blow-ups or anything like that. But these are people that you'd spent five years with. There are no easy answers. And he gets us, those videos were about as benign as you can possibly be 
with having a little bit of truth about who Jesus is. Look up some of the articles that have been written about them. CNN, many had articles, said uh, the videos on, you know, these, these are, have a very subversive message. They, uh, we don't know where they come from. We don't know who's backing them. And then that says, um, one that we know is uh, the owner of Hobby Lobby who has advocated for anti-LGBT laws. They're they're attacking these. We have a a congressman, you know, a congresswoman who came out immediately after the one that just said, Jesus says to love our enemies, right? And she says, I don't think Jesus would spend $20 million condoning fascism. That's what her take was on the video that said, uh, Jesus says to love your enemies. So what I'm saying with all that is that if you take the most benign route of, hey, Jesus just gets you. He cares about you. He loves you. Satan hates that and he will recoil at it and he will destroy, try to destroy that message anyway. So you know what? You might as well just share the whole message <laughs> so uh, you, I went to the, the website and it says uh, uh, there's one big place that says uh, he gets us has an agenda, right? which obviously. So you click on that. I was hoping there would be a little bit in there that, hey, our agenda is to get you to understand that you need Jesus and that only Jesus saves. Why shy away from that agenda? Shouldn't that be the agenda? And I'm just going to read some of it. It said, How did a story of a man who taught and practiced unconditional love, peace, and kindness, who spent his life defending the poor, marginalized, a man who even forgave his killers while they were executed him unjustly, whose life inspired a radical movement that is still impacting the world thousands of years later, how did this man's story become associated with hatred and oppression for so many people? And how might we all rediscover the promise uh, of the love his story represents? Those are the questions at the heart of He Gets Us. Okay, I I understand a lot of that. It is, except I know exactly why Christians are considered bigoted now. Because we're in a spiritual battle and Satan is trying to distort the message of the gospel. That's why it's become that way. And sometimes Christians haven't acted very very well. Shocker, we're all still human, still sinful, still need a Savior. Continues, talk to all kinds of different people from different beliefs, political affiliation. Says many perceive those who differ with them on issues of justice, dignity, and humanity as not just wrong or misguided, but also as evil. As enemies, we often see these others as closed-minded, selfish, hypocritical, and if we're honest, many of us respond in kind. The more ideologically defensive we become, the more we are willing to sacrifice things like kindness, patience, and the respect and dignity of others for the sake of victory. The righteous ends justifying the dehumanizing means. And it's tearing us apart. We experience it in politics, worst place, schools, even in churches. And at the heart of the conflicts is a fundamental disagreement about what it means to be good. 
Okay. I agree with most of that. And that's why I try to convey that this is not a battle between Republicans or Democrats or conservatives or liberals, right? That, that individual people are not our enemy, okay? Because we cannot get to that point where we dehumanize people. I completely agree with that. However, the ideologies that many people within churches, within the workplace, within politics, the ideologies that they are um, supporting and pushing are evil, <laughs> right? And I know this is, this is tough to balance, but if, if we can't recognize that there are certain ideologies that are evil, then, then, then we're in trouble. And when it says there's just a fundamental disagreement about what it means to be good, yeah, we better engage in that disagreement and find out. Because right? there's a lot of good Christian people who are fine with drag queen story hour for kids. Right? Now, is that person the enemy? No, but the ideology sure is. And, and so, I, again, I get where they're trying to come from, but then you just keep, keep reading, and, and it talks about some different things. How did we get here? It says, uh, how can we rediscover the life and teachings of Jesus, the, more, the world's most radical love activist? Okay? Can we define what love means? It's never really defined in there. And it says, that is our agenda that he gets us to move beyond the mess of our current cultural movement moment to a place where all of us are invited to rediscover the love story of Jesus. Christians, non-Christians, and everybody in between, all of us. It says he gets us as a diverse group of Jesus followers with a wide variety of faith journeys and lived experience. Our work it represents the input from Christians who believe that Jesus is the Son of God as well as many others who, though not Christians, share a deep admiration for the man that Jesus was, and we are deeply inspired and curious to explore his story. We look at the biography of Jesus through a modern lens to find new relevance in often overlooked moments and themes from his life. Um, <laughs> again, why, why are we scared to give the full agenda of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We have to be willing to do that. You know why? Because Jesus did. Right? People, they, they love talking about how Jesus went to the woman at the well. And, you know, women, that was a persecuted group. That was a a minority group that had no power. And so Jesus goes to her, which he did. He elevated women more than any other during that, that time. Right? And he knew that she was committing adultery. And we emphasize, oh, look, he loved her. But he also, at the end of the conversation, he says, go and sin no more. He didn't just tell her, hey, I get you. 
and I love you. Have a good day. Right? No, he said, I get you. I love you. I want more for you. I created you to be more. Go and sin no more. So be praying for this movement. Right? Maybe you're able to get have some conversations with people that you wouldn't have, and then you can help them move forward. Okay? So don't don't let's not go around just bashing the he gets us movement. But I think we have to recognize its shortcomings. And that it's being bashed by people on both sides right now, right? <laughs> which, is, which is really interesting. But whenever that message is too, uh, too convicting, we're, we're in trouble. So you might as well just go full on conviction mode. Right? Because guess what? It hasn't been working that Jesus is a nice guy, he loves you, and let's all just sing Kumbaya. It's not working. Right? And guess what? See, I, I'm, I'm one of these crazy fundamentals that, that I actually believe that there is an eternity and that we will be held accountable. I, I, I believe that. And if that's true, I don't want to give a lot of people this false impression of, hey, if they just go to church and they feel good about Jesus and they love the songs and they know that Jesus gets them where they are, and so that just gives them license to just keep doing what they've been doing, and they never take time to evaluate and look at their life and recognize that there are things in their life that are wrong and that they are participating in that are sinful and that they need forgiveness for that and they need to repent. If we don't give that message... We're basically saying, I don't care if you're separated in that life as long as you feel good about yourself in this life. All right? If I'm wrong on that, I will be glad to plead my case and fall at the feet of Jesus as he judges me for being wrong on that. But I don't want to be wrong the other way because the other way just says, feel good now. Who cares later? No. No, this is bigger than just he gets us. He gets us and he calls us to be more. And there's a very simple passage that we don't pay attention to as much as we should. It's the most well-known verse in the the history of the world. John 3.16. Just like he gets us was seen in in, uh, the sporting events. John 3.16 is seen at sporting events, right? Well, let's just read from John chapter 3. All right, starting in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're not going to take a whole long time to do this, but I, I think this is, this is an example of Jesus giving the full message. Right? It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever come into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in its wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. All right, we're going to stop there before we get to John 3.16. So the setup of this. Very simply, you have Nicodemus. Nicodemus is someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's kind of interested. Right? He is a religious leader. He knows the scripture literally by heart. Right? And uh, the, the Old Testament, he knows, he memorizes it. Right? I mean, he, he didn't have the iPhone newest model that, where you could get the app where he could carry it around with him. No, he had to have it in his head. Right? This is someone who knows and loves God. Right? And he is Jewish, which meant he believed that because he was Jewish, because I was born as a Jew, I'm in the kingdom of God. Right? God chose us. He chose our people. Right? And so he just assumed, hey, I'm, I'm good. Right? But he comes to Jesus at night. So there's some symbolism there. Right? He comes to Jesus in the darkness and he's asking, he says, okay, what, what's going on here? And Jesus says something unbelievable. says, you're not good enough where you are. You need to be born again. Yes, you were born a Jew. You, you've given your life to knowing me. But you know what? You need to be born of the Spirit. You need to give your life to Christ. You have to believe in me. Right? Just as, and he gives this wonderful example, just as Moses lifted up the serpent. Because right? what, what Jesus is doing right now is he's establishing where we are in relationship with him. Right? This is, this is the, a religious leader. And Jesus is saying, you are separated from us. Jesus is like, hey, I get you, but you're separated. You need to do something else. Right? Where you are isn't good enough. And he uses that uh, illustration of the, the snakes. And if you remember, that was whenever Moses brought the people out of Egypt. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And they chicken out. Right? And so then they have to, uh, they basically are rebelling against God. So now they have to wander in the desert. And they keep complaining. And they keep um, um, moving away from God. And they're back and forth and stuff like this. And one of the punishments, which we sure don't like th this, this type of, of God, was that all of a sudden people started getting bitten by poisonous snakes. Right? Man, I... I I would just want to be one of the first ones and just have it done, right? They just bite me, and I, I don't, I mean, I, I, how, how fun would it be every night? You go into your tent, you 
open up your sleeping bag. Ah, dang it. There's one there. Yeah. Like it, it, miserable. Just take me so I don't have to deal with that. Okay. So they're getting poisonous snakes are biting them. And then they cry out to God and they say, oh, you know what? Maybe we should listen to you. And so God tells Moses just to, to make this snake and hold it up. And when people would look at that and they would repent, God would heal them. Okay? Now, was God wanting them to worship the snake? No. Why would they look at the snake? So they would be reminded of their sinfulness that was causing the problem. And that they had to turn and acknowledge their sinfulness and then turn to God. And when they did that, they would be healed. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's saying, that's who I am. So you have to acknowledge and repent of your sinfulness and then look at me in order to be born again. So that is where we are. And guess what? He does get us. He knows that you're living in your sin. He knows that about everyone. But yet, he is calling us to move from that place to another place, to where he is. And that's what the rest of John talks about. So starting in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, people love that verse, but just that verse right there at the end, what does it say? That if if you believe in him, you shall not perish, but will have eternal life. So what does that mean? It means there's an opposite reaction as well. That if you do not believe in me, you will perish and not have eternal life. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that, if it, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. All right. So starting in John 3.16. We know where we are. We are separated from him. Right? We, are, we, are being, we are bitten with sin. So we have to turn to him. But where is God? God desires to save us. Right? John 3.17, he did not come to condemn us, but to save us. Because guess what? We have condemned ourselves by our sinfulness by our choosing to go our own way and not God's way. So yes, it's a beautiful message. God loves us and he wants to save us, but he's saving us from our own condemnation. And and the answer is very simple, to believe in him and to repent of our sinfulness. 
And then Jesus goes right in to saying, and here's what it is. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of the light. And they stay in their evil ways because they don't want to acknowledge that what they are doing is wrong. And I I worry that campaigns like this and what we do in, in church is that we talk about the light and we talk about who God is and how much He loves us, but, but we don't emphasize that we are all subject to living according to evil ways, not good ways, and that we all need to repent. And if we don't talk about what that looks like, aren't we doing a disservice? Because if we just talk about it in generic terms, then everyone will make in their own mind, well, I'm living according to the light, no matter what my lifestyle is. Right? We have to dig into that a little bit. And so th- this campaign, we need to be praying that it at least opens the door so that people start to look at who Jesus is. But we also need to pray that it shines the light on people so that they recognize their sinfulness because it's not good enough just to say, God loves me. We have to recognize there's more to it than that. And we live in a world where that's really hard to do as evidenced by reaction to this. And I encourage you when you have the opportunity to talk with people about what the gospel message really is. Don't shy away from the fact that God is calling us to move away from evil and move away from evil ideologies, that he's calling us to repent. It's uncomfortable to do that. Especially if someone, say, you say, you know, God calls us to repent. And they say, well, what do I have to repent for? And then approach it, well, here are the things that I've had to repent for. You say, pride, sexual failings, all those things. (laughs) None of us like to admit those. But if we don't, then we're never fully coming into the presence of God. We are always kind of out there with the snakes. (laughs) So I encourage you. To be in prayer, make sure in your own life that you are, have repented, that you are striving to live a different life, a life based on the truth of God, not what feels good, not what's easy. And then let's be praying for those who are going to be impacted by these videos and pray that they get connected with people who will share the truth with them.